you look at the machine and it's very intimidating, but the bottom line is it's one step at a time. Learn how to drill a part, learn how to turn the part, learn how to tap it, learn how to mill it. It's all there being done individually. Don't be intimidated, just use your head. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my co-host Lloyd Graff. On today's show, we're talking hydromats. Our guest is Mark Fordyce, a man who has made a career working with the multi-station machines. Some people find hydromats intimidating, but for Mark, the machines can be as simple as walking around the block. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graff Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. We are with Mark Fordyce from Component Bar Products in St. Louis. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. So, Mark, first, just to start, tell everybody what Component Bar does. Um, I know there's several different facets of the company. Give people an overview. Well, first off, we we focus on high-volume, high-precision production, only using hydromat equipment on our production side. Uh, the second portion of the business is uh, hydromat uh, repair, refurbishment, and repair parts. And that part of the business started in about 2010. Only 2010? Yes. Okay. Uh, with regards to the production side, we have presently 59 hydromats in production. We believe we're the largest hydromat house under one roof in the world. Uh, wow. Very, very good business model. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great place to, to see things happen. We get a lot done. We make a lot of parts. And in 2010, you started rebuilding turnkeying hydromats it actually started with uh some equipment that we had purchased uh i I didn't purchase my my boss at that time troy pullman purchased uh, a bunch of equipment that wasn't even on a hydromat a company out of canada had made some transfer machines and they used hydromat units and valves so those the the program those were used on was closed down and uh, we picked up something like rismats no uh I don't actually know what company did it. I want to say ATS, but I don't know for sure. They're very special design machines. Like I said, they were uh, a transfer machine, like a like a a walking beam type machine. 
so uh, uh, all special designed, but they wanted to use hydromat units and valves. So we picked up around 58, I believe, hydromat uh, size 30 units, you know, standard control valves and flanges. Uh, with the influx of that equipment, uh, at that time, a uh, component had, I'm going to say, probably 28, 29 machines. Uh, was more equipment that we needed, and uh, we were asked by some customers to, if we would like to sell some of those units. And so we sold four or five units to a company in Chicago uh, that we had we considered surplus. But uh, before that, actually, uh, we had so much equipment to service our own machines with that, like most places, was kind of in ill repair. You know, in, in the real-time production world, we find ourselves uh, uh, cannibalizing, if you will, just in the, you know, as much as you can do to get by that day. And a lot of that had been going on for several years. So when I got to Component, one of the things that I found uh, was needed was to try to organize some of that, clean it up, kind of recondition it. And uh, in the process of doing that, you know, I had talked to, to the owner at that time and said, we could really help other people in the Hydromat community if we offered some of this stuff uh, for sale. We had to design replacement parts for what we had cannibalized. And uh, uh, it came from something as simple as the old brass clamp type flanges. We had to make the brass clamps. Hydromat didn't sell them anymore. Interesting. They'd been lost. And, and so that was one of the first things we did to get some equipment that we could utilize in place. Right. So, so you got you started making equipment for yourself, and then uh, you had a surplus of equipment you made for yourself, and then it seemed like an interesting business. It did, and you know, obviously, uh, when you're producing repair parts, if you can make more, you can make them for less, and so that's what we considered. You know, the opportunity here was. You know, let's let's offer our friends in the hydromat community some some opportunity to buy some really nice, even new equipment at a at a very good price compared to what else might be available. So, in addition to making parts, though, you also you rebuild legacy hydromats from the ground up. Yes, we do, and uh, we we did our first one in two thousand and ten. Two thousand and ten, okay, and. Um, okay, so now, uh, I'd like some, some background on yourself. How did you get into machining? Where are you from? And how did you get all the way from, from there to Component Bar? Basically your life story yeah. in, in a few minutes. <laughs> well, it's a long but simple story. Uh, uh, like I had mentioned earlier today, uh, I grew up in Arizona, met my wife here, and, uh, my, uh, my dad was an auto mechanic, and I found myself pretty mechanically inclined and was actually doing that to feed my family when my wife and I first got married. Uh, we were blessed with a special needs child in, two, in uh, 1978, uh, put a whole new perspective on life, as you can imagine. Uh, two young kids scared to death with unknown medical bills ahead of us, um, the area we were living in wasn't that great of a place to 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 see growth for your future it was more of a of a, a vacation type community up in central arizona and so you know 
looked for opportunities to do something else. Uh, my wife's parents and my wife were originally from Illinois, and her parents had just moved back to uh, to northern Illinois, just uh, just west of Chicago. He told me about a place that he was working at in Rockford, and uh, that if I wanted to be a machinist, he had enough faith in my mechanical aptitude that... Uh, where, where was that? Uh, in Rockford, uh, in the southern part of town there, there was a company by the name of Rockford Dynatorque. They had just purchased uh, a division of Eaton out of Kenosha, Wisconsin, that made electromagnetic clutches and brakes. And so that plant had actually moved from Kenosha down to Rockford. They were making uh, small electromagnetic stuff already uh, for the copier industry. And I started working for them as, as a simple machinist. I knew nothing about machining except for, you know, I was a, I was a pretty good learner. I, I felt like everything that was taught to me, I, I retained, which... You can't stress enough to the to the younger generation. You know, listen, apply, retain. Uh, we uh, at that time, uh, part of the acquisition for that company was a couple of Warner and Swayze uh, chuckers and bar machines. And once I became familiar with the you know the uh, process of cutting metal. They put me over on those machines and basically said, "Here, these are yours." All right, so you're, you're, you got the screw machine background. Well, I guess you could say that single spindle stuff, obviously, uh, uh, all kinds of materials, a lot of fun. Uh, but those machines were not actually owned by Dynatorque; uh, they were owned by the company right next door in the same building. When Dynatorque decided to uh, get into the CNC platforms, which in those days, you know, we had a couple of tape machines. What years are we talking? Uh, 1980, 81. Uh, so we had a couple of tape machines, Bergmasters and that kind of thing. Uh, they bought a CNC lathe that was a pretty good size lathe. I don't recall uh, what model or any of that, but uh, uh, that machine basically replaced the two Warner Swayze's that we had, and they sent those to the company next door that actually owned them. There I found the opportunity to supplement my income a little bit. I went over and asked the guy if uh, he needed somebody to run those for him at night. And uh, he absolutely jumped on that uh, that opportunity. So I, I would work my day shift at Dynatorque, and then I would walk right next door into another part of the building and uh, worked for a company by the name of Forest City Machine Works. And, uh, you know them, then? Mm-hmm. Can I use names? Absolutely. Or, uh, the owner of Forest City, his name was Ralph Chrysler. And uh, he was really big into screw machines primarily. He had a lot of Acme grid and lease. And he really loved green lease. <laughs> he was like the Greenlee guy. Well, and, Rockford uh, is like the Greenlee mecca for yeah. some reason. There was a lot going on in Rockford in the 70s. I missed out on a lot of that because we didn't get there until 80. So it was kind of a almost a depressed city when I got there. A lot of the city leadership couldn't seem to get out of their way either. It was, it's, it was a very poorly managed city. But uh, there was a couple things about the area that were just really fascinating to me. That The, the, the park system was excellent. And being a golfer, I, I utilized that quite a bit. But uh, 
worked for for Ralph uh, uh, oh through the winter, I guess of of nineteen eighty one no eighty, and uh, he had gone to the IMTS show in eighty and saw the hydromat machines. Came up to me one day and he was, you know, thank goodness he was happy with my work. I showed up every day, uh, tried to to perform in a way that my parents would would be proud of me, if you will. And uh, uh, he said, I'm getting ready to buy a new machine. It's called a Hydromat. When when were Hydromats invented? The mid-70s? I'd say mid-70s. I think the first IMTS was 78. I think they actually came to the United States in 78. So uh, they were a fellow by the name of Bud Pullman. Everybody uh, in the industry knows Bud. Uh, actually brought the first machines over from Emo in probably 77. But do you know when like the first Fifner one was invented or around the same time yeah. i'm gonna say mid-70s uh there was an interesting you know set of circumstances and i can only tell you from the stories i've heard so it's kind of secondhand uh carl fiffner peter fry and marcus engler were on a ski trip again can't confirm all this oh, it's no, just this the stories. Is good stuff yeah uh, they were on a ski trip on in the winter uh in switzerland in switzerland carl and uh, Peter Fry were salesmen for Rizmat. Marcus Engler designed the Rizmat. And they all decided, hey, why don't we build a new platform? So Marcus Engler designed it. Those two guys were the money guys and the and the sales guys. And there you go. It uh, it just kind of started out of something as simple as that. A bunch of ambitious, a bunch of ambitious guys. Okay. And so then, yeah, Bud Pullman brought it to the U.S. and yep. 78 and then uh so meanwhile you're in rockford yep uh we took the delivery of our first machine in august of 81 and uh running a, th a 316 stainless cable tv connector and if anybody knows about hydromats back in those days they weren't very well equipped for 316 stainless it was a 2512 it had the the toy cutoff unit i call it the uh, size 20 cutoff unit very very uh difficult to get through that that material and the cutoff unit tended to be the the weak link on that machine hmm. but uh, uh ralph was was very ambitious he says we can take care of this machine without hydromat's help we found other work for it we put it on the machines and uh started making money with them and he was like mark this is your job to figure it out absolutely he just kind of he just kind of threw it at me. I won't I, you know, I got to give credit to all the people that worked together there. We were a team, you know, the, the tool room guys were awesome. They had great ideas. Uh, but the department of the height with the hydromats was mine. Uh, I would come up with the layouts. I would, I would engineer the process. I, I talked to the guys who were working. Who trained with me. you? I'm pretty much self-taught. All right. Uh, again, I paid attention when, when I was mentored, I retained and I applied. And really in our business... But who mentored you uh, on the Hydromat? On the Hydromat? No one. No one. It was just like... I don't, I don't know, how, I know what to say, except for it kind of just came as a second nature. Mm -hmm. uh, it's easy to some, others not. Uh, it's common sense. You look at the machine and it's very intimidating, but... The bottom line is it's one step at a time. 
learn how to drill a part, learn how to turn the part, learn mm-hmm. how to tap it, learn how to mill it. It's all there being done individually. Don't be intimidated. Just use your head. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, you know, it, I just broke it down to that level, and it, it worked. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. And then, uh, then what happened? Well, over the course of time, uh, from 1981 to 1988, uh, we acquired up to four machines. We had two 2512s, a 4512, and a 324516 on the floor. Mm. Uh, the, the primary work that we were doing uh, was for a company in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we were making pneumatic control valve bodies. That was a, a, a big customer of ours. We also did some some work in the lock industry on some high security type locks plus uh, the most recognizable product was the the cylindrical lock if you will that you see the round keys with the notches in the front of them they used them a lot on cigarette machines and candy machines back in those days the ace plug on the front of them Uh, the company that was making those uh, was chicago lock at the time and they had a two-piece design where the plug was actually made and pressed into the body, and they wanted to build an integral design, and we actually set that up and ran it on Hydromat for them. Uh, as I would engineer these parts and, and the processes, and then I would go to things like the Hydromat open houses or to IMTS, I'd carry a pocket full of parts with me, and I'd show them to Max and Bruno at Hydromat, and this is what we're doing at Compo- at uh, at Forest City, and uh, they they took that information and and kept it aside. I gained a little bit of respect, I'd say, from that. And in 1988, uh, without going into a lot of detail, uh, it appeared I needed to uh, look for a, a pathway other than what I had chosen, and opened up the local newspaper, and there was an ad from Hydromat looking for technicians interesting called down and talked to max baby first he about came through the phone at me he says yes yes let me talk to bruno and uh then bruno called me and and we had a nice conversation of course we had to uh inform my boss he was a customer of hydromat a pretty good one obviously he bought four machines in in seven years uh and uh, uh and then you down to st louis yeah, in uh, in December of 1988, I started working there, December 5th, and... Uh, what was it like working for Hydromat, and what exactly were you doing? I actually thought that I was going to go to Hydromat on the assembly line, you know, taking the engineering and the tooling and, and setting up the machines for the customer. Hydromat's always had the same structure, sell a turnkey, design and develop the process... Uh, put it in place for the customer, demonstrate capability and efficiency, and then install and teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I thought I was going to do. I was very excited about that. Well, they didn't do that. Bruno says, no, no, we're just going to put you right into engineering. And so that's what they did. 
And to that date, all I'd ever done was use quad-ruled paper and uh, put my ideas on paper, took them to the machine shop and, and tool room, and they did all the work. Uh, so I was then put in as a project engineer, working uh, on a drafting board. <laughs> we didn't have CAD at that time. Uh, but it was a very short period of time on the drafting board because there were CAD systems coming in and they were getting their feet wet with that. Uh, my first project. That was at, what I was going to ask you, what your first project was. It was a, a, a machine for American Turn products. Really? Yes. It was sold by Mach and Eichley in the Ohio region. And uh, uh, Bill Eichley uh, was my uh, regional sales manager that I worked with. Uh, took me into American Turn Products to review the project. Uh, sat across the desk from Jerry Amy, but a great guy in the you know in the in the machining organizations like PMPA. And Gar Jerry sat there and grilled me on every element that I put in front of him, just to see if I could handle it and if I was doing the right thing for him. And and uh, I think I passed the test. And that was their first hydromat. That was their first hydromat. Yes. And uh, went on to engineer, I think, two more for them. Hmm. Uh, and then throughout my tenure at Hydromat, I worked at Hydromat for 18 and a half years. I was project engineer. I was the senior project engineer. I managed engineering uh, for several years. Uh, was able to take the apprentices that they were running through. They always do a nice apprenticeship program at Hydromat. It's very, very... Uh, uh, organized and, and uh, thorough uh, training. And when the engineers or when the apprentices would come through engineering, it was my job to, to teach them what we could from the engineering side or assign them to an engineer when I was more in the management side of things to, to, uh, to get them trained what we did in engineering. And actually one of those guys is uh, engineering manager today. I talked him out of going into quality and and kept him in engineering, and now he's the engineering manager. Interesting. And it's kind of a neat thing. But I trained several people in the Hydromat organization that are now in sales and in engineering uh, about the Hydromat machine. Hi, Mark. It's Lloyd. What do you find so fascinating about the Hydromat? It's just, it's just different. It's rewarding to see that many parts come out of a machine at that high of accuracy and that amount of dependability. Uh, Hydromat, when they first started out, uh, found themselves obviously in a market that was desperately in need of their, their machinery, but they took a bad name for things like slow changeovers and, and difficulty and, and intimidation and that. And uh, it's, it's rewarding to conquer the intimidating monster, if you will, that yeah. might be considered a hydromat. Uh, it, it was fun. And, and having the opportunity to go to work at hydromat, and what a class organization. You know, uh, some would say, why did you leave hydromat? Well, that's another day's story. But uh, I feel deep inside of me that I... I I owe so much to Bruno and the and the and the folks in that organization. They gave me the opportunities, uh, endless opportunities to do whatever I felt was the right thing to do. Uh, That's and, awesome. And and 
get the customers a product out there. Uh, creativity is a big deal, you know. We, <laughs> a couple of the things that I designed for the Hydromat, Bruno called them gadgets. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it's just a great organization and and such a facility that you're proud to walk into every day, and and be part of, and uh, so it was it was it was great. That's why, you know, I, I stayed as long as I did. Uh, the, the machine itself, you know, the rewards are success. You know, if you're able to succeed putting some really difficult parts out there. I mean, we did some tough parts at Hydromat before the days of CNC. The legacy Hydromats were doing parts that uh, are quite impressive with tough machining materials and, and processes that are so much easier today with single point... Uh, tooling uh pretty proud of of what we were able to accomplish and today with the cnc hydromats um do you i mean will the hydromats you run you you guys don't run any cnc you do you put cnc units on them or while we can in a shop of 59 hydromats there is not one cnc unit on our floor now why is that we just haven't found the job to uh, that best suits it yet. We're looking, <laughs> you know. We're just like anybody else. We want to be mainstream, and and uh, you know, we see jobs from time to time that that uh, yeah. If we could get some some upfront tooling into this that would get us into CNC, we'd consider it. We right. just but haven't found people, that job. Most people just get the CNC machine because that's what you buy now and they don't necessarily need it yeah um hydromats evolved into to the cnc as their primary product line it's a it's a great product uh and uh it's just it's the next evolution and it's what they support day in and day out and we don't use it so far every machine has a flaw what's the what's the flaw in the hydromat Wow. <laughs> Pretty successful working on hydromats, but there is one, and, and that's horsepower. We'd like to have more horsepower hmm. because of the size of the machine. Uh, there's just so big a motor you can put on there. and Versus uh, the other uh, transfer machines, which are a lot bigger. Well, yeah, you're talking about monsters there. Uh, the, the horsepower has is, is, is been the, the biggest issue, but keep in mind the machine capacity is only an inch and three quarters. So you can do a lot with the horsepower we, we generate. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd say that's the, that's the weak point of the machine, but you can overcome it. Find, be creative in your process and, and use, you know, instead of using one giant drill, use a small one and then tool up to, a, to the bigger drill. How, how many, uh, what percentage of hydromats do you think are used as chuckers now? Well, while the machine's very capable of being chuckers, I'm going to say there's probably, you know, a small percentage, maybe 10 or 15 percent. Oh, really? Does that, does that work with what you were imagining? Mm, I would have imagined more. Because you're seeing our customers as blanking on the screw machine and putting them in the hydromat mm -hmm. or hot forging or... Well, I get those requests from time to time. We uh, we recently tooled up a, a triple production 2512 
on a very high volume airbag part very successful uh, a project for for the customer uh, and today in fact I had a customer contact me about wanting to do triple production on a 16 station machine on a cold headed blank so those opportunities are out there but in in my day-to-day uh, involvement I don't see uh, a lot of that mm-hmm. do, you ha- do you have many chuckers at component bar probably two Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And they're doing secondary work because we only do hydromats. Uh, we don't have secondary machines mm-hmm. like MSOs or, or you know, the others that, that might be good for doing simple secondary right. processes. Right. So, so uh, is there a place for, let's say, the five axis CNC in tandem with a hydromat? I think it's been done. Uh, Hydromat's been pretty creative in some of the things they've sold recently. Uh, since I left in 2006, I've seen uh, a couple of projects of theirs where the machine was at, or the part was actually transferred out of the machine, uh, run through a secondary process in a CNC, and then put back in the machine to finish. How about robots? Um, do you see uh, robots coming more into play now uh, in tandem with Hydromat's? Oh, absolutely. The HS machine is it begs for a robot, uh, and and uh, you know obviously those people that are you know loading cold headed blanks and that kind of thing. Depending on on what you're trying to accomplish, uh, we when we do have time to 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 work on projects like that or the opportunities to work on projects, we try to work with the customer to get them the the best bang for their buck, if you will. And sometimes a robot's that way, and sometimes it's just simple feed systems. Mm. What's the robot of choice these days? Well, not knowing for sure, because I don't, I don't play in that, uh, in that area very much. All of our chuckers are, are hand-loaded. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I see a lot of, uh, of uh, Motomans. Hmm. I like the GE products. They have about one of everything. Uh, GE is Fanuc. Yeah, yeah. Very, very impressive what they can do. Of course, when you put vision with the robots these days, you know you don't have to worry about the parts getting to the robot any any different way than just a a simple conveyor or a bin. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we're actually excited when we get the opportunity to quote some type of integration like that. Uh, do you get more excited about the? Um, rebuilding and turnkeying hydromats uh, or the production? When I started at Component Bar, I was their engineering manager on the production side of the business. I still have a fond uh, connection to that. Uh, I have enjoyed every aspect of my career enough to where I'm I'm not going to say, damn, I'd never go back to that. Uh, At my current position, I work in the rebuild, refurbish parts side of the business, that's my daily task. Such as you, you guys rebuild a saw, build us your own saw, right? Uh, we just, yeah, we we did saws. Uh, we've done the both the size thirty and the size forty inverters, and this year we rolled out uh, our new threading unit. Uh, again, all of this legacy equipment, not CNC, supporting our friends in the legacy community. Hydromat, let's use the threading unit, for example. Hydromat uh, 
uses essentially CNC now to either single right. point or, you know, to emulate the lead screw on a tap uh, or they thread mill. That's pretty price prohibitive, and I can sell a, a brand new threading unit now to a customer. And when I design these elements, I look at uh, a couple of things. I've been around them enough to know their failure modes, so I look at how I can improve that. The product is good, so I don't, I don't try to reinvent the wheel, I just try to enhance it. So what could I do to a threading unit that would make it better? I just wanted to make it more capable. So the threading unit I designed takes the standard lead screw but can run either 60 millimeters a stroke or 120 millimeters a stroke. It's a customer's choice. Very easy to switch from one to the other. Those are the type of things that we do when we try to replace a standard piece of Hydroman equipment. Have you developed any patented uh, products? No, I have not. Uh, I, I would assume that uh, because of the world that Hydromat lives in, that would have been my biggest opportunity. Uh, uh, they never talked about whether we needed to patent anything that we did. Uh, the other thing was because we were doing turnkey systems for customers, uh, they kind of bought the intellectual property of the process and the tooling in that uh, with a job. But what about the stuff you're designing now? You You haven't patented those things or tried or thought about it I have not uh, and I can't answer why uh, I, I'm I, well, maybe I, patents are obsolete today that, that's a, that's a very interesting uh, philosophical question I guess if you said by the time you spend all the money and the time to get into a patent how easy is it for someone just to take what you've done and change it slightly and call it their own idea. Mm -hmm. That happens in the marketplace from time to time. And uh, for a long time, uh, people in China and India seem to have no interest in hydromats. Has that changed? I, I would imagine it has. You know, obviously that question would be better asked someone that works at Fifner. They, that's their market. Uh, I know that back in the oh in the early 2000s uh, there was a Chinese uh, imitation of a hydromat called a bullet. Oh yeah. I don't know if that ever made a any stance at all in the in the American market. Uh, it's it's darn tough I think to start from the ground up to bring in a product that works and and performs like a hydromat. So Hydromat dominates the rotary transfer market now, wouldn't you say? I feel that they always have. Yeah. Worldwide? I believe so. Uh, if it hasn't, they weren't being sold properly. How's that? Right. Uh, there are other rotary transfers that just have a different footprint in the market, though. You know, uh, the, the large uh, base transfers, Hydromat didn't have anything to really compete with those for a lot of years. My understanding, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the, you know, as a somebody who resells machines too, the great thing about a hydromat is it's so much easier to be set up for a different job than most of the other rotary transfer machines. Wouldn't you say those are more like custom made, sort of hardwired for one thing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, 
machines like Portas and Buffaly, those giant castings and weldments that they use, those things are very specific sometimes. Yeah. Uh, we had a product that was being sold out of St. Louis for a while called a Termet. Uh, very, very specific machine, but a very capable machine as well. Now, the Italians uh, in the rotary transfer seem to dominate that uh, brass uh, plumbing market. Or am I wrong? I've, I've heard that they can do uh, forging work better than, than we can do in the United States. And I don't believe they can. That's a, while that may be true, I think it's really more driven by economics than it is by, by capability. I think the United States uh, workforce and, and markets, and we can support uh, products that are made like that, you know, that, that, that are in that uh, design. We just haven't had the opportunity because we're, our prices are being undercut so much. You see uh, high production work coming back to the U.S.? I feel like it is. My customers tell me that it is. Uh, uh, I've talked to a couple of customers that have plants in China, and while they used to be pretty high on that, they don't seem to be, you know, they're never going to say they made a mistake. Nobody wants to say that. Mm -hmm. But they don't seem as ambitious as they used to. How's that? Uh, I think that I think that there are things happening in the United States now that, that uh, are giving us the opportunities to go back and get some of that stuff. It's pretty exciting. Have you been to China? Have not been to China. While I've had an opportunity with Hydromet to travel a lot of places, uh, never made it over to the to the Far East. You have done stuff in Brazil, right? Uh, yeah, at Component. Well, even at Hydromet, uh, uh, but at Component, I have machines in Brazil, Mexico, Canada, and I do have machines that are in China. But I didn't have to to install them or, or anything there that was all uh, sold to domestic company and, and then put in their plants over mm -hmm. there. So what are you going to do when you retire? Retirement for me looks one way and is very, very fluid. Uh, I don't know that I can ever quit doing what I do because I enjoy it so much. I enjoy the friends that I've made over the years in the industry. I'd like to keep my my fingers busy in the in the in the market and so help people. That, that's your plan to keep stay a little bit in the game. I think so. I want I don't necessarily want to go out and subcontract. I think I'll stay uh, connected to component bar as some form of a of a friend of the organization that can help them. Uh, I hope that uh, they put people in place uh, when I'm gone that can can sell and and engineer the product but i'm only going to be you know down the road in my motorhome if you will my wife and i bought a motorhome uh, we travel in it we enjoy that and we're going to try that for several years uh, when the time comes and when when are you planning on retiring well i'm 63 in may and i'll probably work another two years for sure hmm. every day uh-huh and at that point, we'll throttle back to something that looks more like a retired guy working uh, in his shorts sitting at the kitchen table. <laughs> uh, somehow I'm having trouble picturing that. Well, 
I can picture it enough to say it's worth a try. I don't know, <laughs> you know. I, I I'm gonna miss the phone ringing. I'm gonna miss the uh, the uh, uh, the emails requesting help. That's the one great thing that I've been able to do is is establish, you know, relationships that that they call me. They want my help. I I help them. And I and I feel rewarded from that. That's so nice to hear somebody say that versus, uh, oh my God, I'm just putting out fires. I hate that. That's like, you know, the worst thing ever. Well, when you when maybe I'm fortunate. Oh, I'm certainly fortunate. But fires take place when somebody dropped the ball. We try to get in, involved early enough and stress to our customers how critical it is to get started in a timely manner and to understand where it can go if we don't. Obviously, things are out of my control. If I quote a machine this year in, in May and the customer says, yeah, this is a hot project, but then doesn't buy it until September and wants it by the end of the year, we're going to have to talk about what, what are we doing about this schedule because sometimes it's just impossible. But I'm going to tell them that up front, too, because they have to be a solution to the problem. I can do a lot of stuff for them, but I need help. And that's important to know that regardless of how good you are, you still need help. And the customer is the best solution to your problem because he's your teammate in, the, in every sale. Do you uh, see, do you see uh, the, the talent level um, being able to keep up with? Uh, you know the needs of shops, and I, I'll, you know, I'm I'm good friends with somebody who's does HR um, at a pretty good sized shop, and she says the hardest thing is fighting people for hydromats to run hydromats. I I I believe that everybody is struggling to find good labor now. Uh, I recently heard something on the radio, and it was an ad for an HR-type company, I think. And they said, your next employee already has a job. You know, So how can companies attract that person? Obviously, they have to be the right person to, to work on a hydromat. But you can train uh, the most basic skilled person to be able to do some level of work on a hydromat. People are intimidated, aren't they? They absolutely are. They absolutely are. They hear the words like scrap. They hear the words like, you know, uh, uh, efficiency and downtime. And they quickly realize that that's their responsibility. And whether they want that responsibility or not, you know, that's, that's up to them. But once they accept that that is their responsibility and they pay attention, you can train that person. I believe that there's no one that's not trainable. But they may not be a setup man, but they could be a darn good operator. How about the electric car? If it takes 25% of the market, let's say, over the next five years, what would that do to the usage of hydromance? Well, the automotive industry is all about the numbers. There's still going to be a lot of components that need to be made for that electric car. We just need to get the people that are out there selling hydromats to, to find the market that, that works with the news models. It's the, the hydromat industry or the, the, the production industry from the hydromat side has been very cyclical over the years. And, and you watch it take place. And you know, obviously, 
in, in the amount of time I spent there and, and outside of there, you saw markets grow and flatten out. Uh, the, the gas controls market was a huge market for us for a while. Barbecue grills. Everybody was buying a barbecue grill. Then all of a sudden it went to China. Plumbing, always a big market for hydromet machines, all went to China. But the cycle is what I'm talking about there. Uh, airbags, uh, ABS brakes, all those components cycled through the hydromets. The air conditioning uh, tubing components, the peanuts, if you will, if, if most people would know what I'm talking about. Uh, those are all cycled through the hydromet uh, rotary transfer you know, right, systems. That's, that's not going away with the electric car. Absolutely not. Those components somewhere in that car, there's something out there with the volumes that they require uh, are needed. Right. That's that's the reason for almost every car part because of the volume. Yeah. But I don't think we can focus our efforts completely on the automotive industry. There's ways to make money in any economic climate you just got to find the industry that's thriving if you look at what's going on with hydromats out there there's some that are making parts in the recreation industry uh there are parts out there you know obviously in the the government uh ordinance areas let's get plumbing back into the united states mm -hmm. somehow is that coming back i'd like to think so i've seen a, f a few products lately uh that have developed uh, the forging business a little bit more. Obviously, plumbing has evolved now to where it's not as simple as just throwing th 360 brass rod into the machine. You know, these eco brass products are difficult to machine. So, you know, as much as we want to get the product back in the United States, we have to figure out how to machine it efficiently so that we can actually compete with the cost that, that has, we have to get to. Has a lot of the brass uh, fittings parts uh gone to India? I don't know of any specifically that any case has gone to India, but you have to imagine that somebody over there is looking at that stuff. There are there are people that specialize, I think, in that part of the world. I've just never been associated with any of those people, so I can't speak intelligently on it. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been great. I absolutely enjoyed talking to you, and I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about me. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.